Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today, we are talking HBO star Wendell Pierce's arrest, George Zimmerman sells the gun, and more on Justice is Served. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Live's Justice is Served. Hello and welcome to Justice is Served. Thanks for joining us. My name is Chelsea Galicia, LA-based attorney, and Shaka Smith, along with our student, our law student, Shannon Myricks. Thank you for being here. We've got an interesting array of stories today, uh, starting with Wendell Pierce being arrested. What do you make of this? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, it's a sign of the times. Things are getting a little bit more heated between Bernie and Hillary, <laughs> Hillary fans. Yes, they are. And so uh, it looks like uh, Mr. Pierce was involved in an altercation where a couple alleges that he pushed the boyfriend and he grabbed and you know grabbed the hair of the the girlfriend. And they went to the room and then called the police. Well, I heard that the controversy was about whether Wendell Pierce was being pulled into a hotel room or he was being pushed out. Yeah. Uh, he has acknowledged that there was some run-in and it started off as a civil political discussion and took a turn. He was arrested for simple battery and he's out on bail. And what do you think is going to come of this, Shannon? I mean, given his side of the story, which is that he was being pulled into the hotel room as three women were assaulting him, I think it was two or three women were assaulting him, that he may end up filing charges for battery as well. At the end of the day, this is a typical, simple battery matter where it's he say, she say, although there's one more witness who says that there was an altercation in progress between Pierce and a man and that a woman jumped in, presumably the girlfriend of the man he was fighting with, and maybe in the scuffle, she, you know, his hands or his body may have connected with her, so. Yeah, so, I mean, we have a really heated political season yeah. going on. This is disturbing. Do yeah. we think we're gonna see more of this. Well, yeah. I mean, we know that you know, in Nevada there was some violence. We know that things seem to be ratcheted up, and so uh, hopefully not. But if this guy, who's this you know venerable star, is you know involved in a, an altercation, anybody really could be. Um, but I will say I like Wendell Pierce because he did not say he didn't pull the famous card. He never said, "Hey, it's me, Wendell Pierce. Don't arrest me." Right. So that is, okay. he gets kudos for that. <laughs> okay, great job. Uh, but he doesn't get so much kudos for me. He was Pierce. He's a strong pro Hillary, <laughs> and so this was just one tally for a Hillary supporter being perhaps violent. Uh, people are now saying that the Bernie Sanders supporters are violent because of what happened in, in Nevada. The Trump supporters have been accused of being violent before. So are we just going to be facing a violent time between now and November? I mean, I think it's only going to get more heated. I definitely see this as an escalation because prior to this, the fighting was happening from people on each side of the aisle. Now we have people on the same side of the aisle yeah. fighting it out. And as things get a little bit closer with Bernie and Hillary, I suspect that we may see more of these spats. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the problem is the term revolution. It's a political revolution. It, it, we're not... Uh, we're not really promoting, or Bernie certainly is not promoting a violent revolution. I think mm -hmm. when young people hear the word revolution, they tend to be a little bit more incited. But uh, I think we need to be going for a peaceful solution to. Do you think that ideas. that's what it is? It's over the word revolution, or you think it's really uh, that people understand the issues? Or I mean, wh what do you think is giving rise to this level of heat within the same party? 
I, I think it's actually, I think that term, that word is part of it, because I've, I've heard it from different people, oh, and I've heard it take wow. a... Wow. And I've heard it take on a simple word. No, but I've heard alcohol. It. They were <laughs> drinking at a bar and talking politics. Everyone knows there are taboo subjects: politics yeah. and religion. They Although went I to like, politics. I like how strangers are talking politics. That's good. Yeah. I think the more that we talk about political issues, the better informed hopefully people are, because it seems that talking to most people, they have no clue what's going on. So, if we engage people, strangers with a little alcohol, okay, fine. But the to say that it's going violent because of the use of the word revolution is a yeah. new one that I have not heard until today. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's contextual. And I think you have people that use certain words in different ways, and then when you use them, people perceive them differently, they, they feel like they're now being called to action. So you think Wendell Pierce heard Bernie's call for revolution and wants to fight against that revolution, yeah, yeah. and so he's escalated his own passion about well, I, I, who I think, he supports. I, I think my personal belief is that that use of the word has encouraged other people um, uh, tend to be more Bernie Sanders followers. That they tend to be more violent in terms of using that word. That they're not the followers are more violent. Wow. No, no, no. <laughs> so context but here. I, we have I, a Hillary and a Bernie supporter here, and yeah. they are impassioned. And yeah. we about have their one position. who is yet yeah. to, to make her claim. But I think no, <laughs> that's true. I, 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 I love, still deciding. I love both supporters. I love I love both sides personally. You know, I I think Bernie's great for the country. I think Hillary's great for the country. Oh, but God. I, I do think sometimes <laughs> the rhetoric that people use. Um, in campaigns can incite their followers in ways they did not anticipate. And I think that word revolution incites younger people in ways that, you know, older people that are responsible did not anticipate. How old is Wendell Pierce? 52. So uh, I don't think that, that this is an example that supports well, that. Uh, so uh, this is an older person. Well, I've taken it from the context of that couple seem to be more, had more incited this incident. That's the context I've taken. So. Okay, so you see that the Bernie supporters incited. Yeah. Oh, okay. interesting. It's funny how it lines mm -hmm. up with his uh, support. Yeah. <laughs> well, Very yeah. interesting. I, I don't think it's any any secret that the supporters of Bernie Sanders have been a little bit more aggressive than Hillary supporters. I don't think that's that's not a. I I think uh, what some people call aggressive, I see as passionate. Well, well, Okay, it's no secret they've been far more passionate than Hillary supporters this election. Yeah, because <laughs> Hillary is mad. Okay. I don't think it's a secret. But, you know, I, I just hope both campaigns about, handle About whether well. that passion then turns to violence is another and I, issue. And it has. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is this use of the word revolution. I think people uh, think about, revolution. They think, how about you know, the fact that people are so tired of being suppressed and they see an opportunity, a way out, a leader who can show them the way, and we have somebody like Hillary who's very much the status quo establishment, which people thought, okay, if we just get behind Obama, things will change, but, but they it, saw he became too establishment. It just, it, just, it just shouldn't devolve into violence. And I think there are words and ways to talk to your supporters that either increase that likelihood or decrease that likelihood. I can't, I, can't, I can't say I agree with that. The use of the word revolution, the way that Bernie Sanders talks about it, he says it's I think he, I, And I think he perceives it correctly in the way he's talking about it. And I think it's upon him to realize his supporters might be taking it in a different way and then so, to, to quell that. So, so your thing is that Bernie Sanders supporters are too stupid to understand the way that oh, Bernie Sanders is that. <laughs> using the word revolution. No, I, I, think, I think when people are passionate, certain words can incite certain feelings. I just think it's, it, it's upon the campaign to really 
push the message that when they're talking revolution, they're talking a peaceful revolution, a revolution think, of change, a revolution of action I based think it's on pretty obvious. The onus is on the individual to take a step back and realize if you're about to throw a punch for a presidential candidate, like you, re- it's time to like stop and think and like take a deep breath. Yeah. Like, when keeping it real goes wrong, like, no matter what side <laughs> of mean, the aisle you're I on, you should not be getting in a fisticuff yeah. over Bernie. Hillary, Trump, anybody, Cruz, really, yeah. anybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that what we're not realizing is that we're not really going to change people's minds. If somebody is set on who they're going to vote for, if they ask you questions, you can provide them information or your opinion. But generally, you want to go for the people who are still undecided. It's probably not going to f- start a fight with them. Yeah. And you may be able to sort of recruit them to your viewpoint. But people who are right. already set... But you would Mostly hope, a lost cause. But you'd still hope you could both have meaningful dialogue. I think that's what we need to be aiming for in the country. Don't have alcohol while doing and it. And that is also... Because <laughs> That's also Apparently. a good point. Apparently. All right. Okay, so speaking of something that gets tempers flaring, George Zimmerman puts up the gun for sale that he used to kill Trayvon Martin. The sale closed today, and it reportedly sold for about $120,000. People are up... I'm, up in arms, sorry for the pun, about him doing this and making a profit off this, and we're are like, how is this even legal? Is yeah. it? And I mean, is he really going to be able to benefit from this money? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly legal because I mean, it's not really an online sale. I know he went to GunBroker.com and UnitedGunGroup.com. I guess he had some fake, you know, bidders, then he switched sites. Fake bidders that ran up the Trolls. price to, like, yeah. 66 million. million. These are the times when you love trolls. Yeah. Oh, my God. My, fa- my favorite troll was racist Mick shooter Shoot. face. Yeah. <laughs> racist Mick shooter face. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he had to pull it off of one site because it was going crazy. Yeah. Went to another. So even though the bidding was done online, it's not technically an online yeah, sale. Yeah, the, there's no such thing as an online sale. So these guys essentially are brokers that are bringing together the buyer and the seller. And you still are governed by your state law based on where you live as to what you'll do. Um, so at this point, we don't know who the buyer is, what state the buyer is in. And so therefore, we don't know if there's going to be a background check run yeah. on this person. If they are from Florida and it takes place, the sale takes place within Florida, no background checks is my understanding. Because yeah, yep. is located in Florida. So, so the sale is legal because it's not. Even though it was sort of done online, it was not really. It's not an online sale. We don't even know if we're going to know who this person is or if they're going to pass a background yeah. check. And, I mean, they only. And so, for at least in this case, they would if they're out of state. Then what happens is that gun gets shipped to a licensed gun dealer, and that licensed gun dealer will perform a background check based on federal law. So, oh, man, this one really it seems. Uncool. I mean, perhaps since a couple of years ago, he was crying about the fact that he was homeless, suffering from PTSD, and about $2.5 million in debt. Most of that was owed to his uh, defense attorneys, that maybe some of the money is going to go there. Uh, we also know that he plans to some, give some of the proceeds to fight the Black Lives Matter movement uh, as he sees it as a violent act against law enforcement officers. He also wants uh, to do something to, he wanted to, um, Angela Corey, the prosecutor, he wanted to, uh, let me, I'm, I'm looking for the, the quote because it was pretty funny. He, he says to end her persecution. End her <laughs> persecution. Do you People think? People are unsure if that's a typo or if that was intentional. Right. Yeah. And, 
And he is not a Hillary supporter. Apparently, he wants to stop her anti-firearm rhetoric. Um, Dear God. I almost hate to admit this, but were you guys, do you guys also not realize what a complete racist this guy was? when I read what he, how he wrote like th- these things for his description. Oh, the perspective bitters. Here's a, like a taste yeah. of what. Perspective bitters. I am honored and humble to announce the sale of an American firearm icon. An American firearm is capitalized. Many expressed interest in displaying it, including the Smithsonian in D.C., which I then read the Smithsonian said, we want nothing to do with that. They deny it. And then he says, this is a piece of American history, also capitalized. The offers were to use the gun in a fashion I did not feel comfortable with. The firearm is fully functional as the attempts by the Department of Justice on behalf of B. Hussein Obama to render the firearm inoperable were thwarted by my phenomenal defense attorney. A portion of the proceeds will be used to fight this, that, and the other. Yeah, I I had literally stopped paying attention to George Zimmerman until this kind of came up. And then I'm reading things about him saying that Trayvon's parents should have raised him better, and he has zero, zero remorse for this act. And I... Even if you thought it was a legal thing that he did, can only hope no that karma whatsoever. will deliver justice yeah. because our justice system has not been able to. Yeah. I mean, he's quite the monster. This is someone who loves this negative spotlight. He loves being infamous. Even though a couple of years ago he was on a, a Univision channel uh, program saying that he hates... The spotlight, he wishes that he could just live his life normally, that when he has um, discussions or problems with his girlfriend and the police come, that it's not anybody else's business. Well, when you're beating her, yeah, it is. (laughs) So he wants to do that um, in anonymity, apparently. So I just wish that there was something that the legal system could do. We have to wait until he screws up again. But for now, he's acting entirely within his rights and that is what it's, it is yeah that's just a bad <laughs> just, bad karma right all right so let's say what you think about the fairness the justice of this sentence for a 20 year old ferguson protester who was sentenced to eight years in prison why eight years in prison i mean this this is surely a sad case however uh, he was caught on camera. When we're talking about he, this is uh, Josh Williams, who had been sort of an outspoken activist once the protests in Ferguson started. Yeah, he was a, a big advocate for the prosecution of the officer who killed Mike Brown. Uh, he was a big advocate for the young man named Jeffrey, who was gunned down shortly after that. He was involved in protests. He went to city council meetings and yelled at council members. He had new newspaper articles written about and him. I, I think that's what's sad, because he was doing the stuff you want to see a young activist do. The problem is, is that a riot broke out after one of the protests, and he was seen on camera trying to light fire at a quick stop. Uh, and then I was like, how do, you, how do you see somebody trying to light a fire? So you look at the video, and oh yeah, there were flames, relatively large ones, inside a convenience store. Very obviously him, because he was wearing the getup that he sort of became identified with, this red hoodie, and then tweeted out his location and sort of didn't do himself any favors there. Not at all. Why do you think, so he was arrested for arson, and why, why do you think he just pleaded guilty? There was no trial here. 
Well, I'm I'm guessing the the video was probably pretty dispositive of um, his guilt, and so you want you want to get a, a shorter sentence than best to plead guilty and get that yeah. shorter sentence. I think he was hoping for leniency. This was his yeah. first brush with the law, so right. I think never been incarcerated he thought that before. There may be some opportunity for the judge to practice some discretion in the sentencing, but it turns out it went the exact other way. I mean, remember, it's first-degree arson, second-degree burglary, and misdemeanor stealing. So these are so, serious crimes. Yeah, but, well, okay, but hold on. Let's break this down a little bit. The arson, we get that. But it didn't, from the video, look to me like the convenience store fully, like, caught on fire. It, I don't know how much damage it cost. Uh, it did not harm, did hurt anybody. So... It, arson can be like you light a fire and then it kills somebody or arson you light a fire and it doesn't do anything. So in this case, it does not appear that it caused significant harm to person or property. That's one thing. The burglary, that sounds serious, but in reality, he just, he went into the convenience store that had already been broken into. And yeah, technically, if you like cross a you don't even have to break a yeah. door. You just cross sort of like the line of, of any kind of entry into a place with the intent to do something illegal, and that's burglary. So it sounds very serious, but when you look at re reality, what he actually did is he just went into the convenience store when After he should not have gone. After someone else had broken into it, like right. looters had broken yeah. into the and store. Then, and then the, um, what was the last part? Oh, the, misdemeanor stealing. Right, so He's, he took gum and silly and cash things like from that. the register. Oh, that part I didn't know about. I thought yeah. it was just limited to And so gum. I, I think that's the problem here is you're not just talking about first-degree arson, you know, something, a shed in the woods. This is during a riot. So arson at this level is even more, it, it carries the weight of having more potential for damage. So because the actual damage did not occur, I think they looked at it in the context of what was taking place. Okay, so I can say some jail time is fine. What do you... Uh, I mean, there is some disparate sentencing happening here. Yeah. A man in the similar situation uh, who caused, set a like, fire, caused a million dollars yeah. worth of damage, and got six and a half years. So we yeah. get, we we think what a year and a half was for gum and for walking into the place during a, a riot. It that doesn't make sense. Also, when you look at what kind of sentence would you get if you were guilty of second degree murder in Missouri, it's ten to thirty. So he got two years less than somebody convicted of second-degree murder. Does yeah. that seem to make any sense? I mean, with these charges, it does. I mean, he'll, he'll only serve about six and a half years. But with, with first-degree well, arson and second-degree... He'll only serve up to that, or that's the best case scenario for him? Well, for the good, minimum good behavior, he has yeah. to serve is 85%, which is yeah. six and a half years. Yeah. So if he, if he does well, he'll get out in six and a half years. I think for the charges, it was warranted. I don't like the disparate sentencing that we're seeing, but I think for those charges, it's warranted. It's unfortunate that he took really positive activism and turned it into negative activism. Right. I think there's an underlying issue here. He had a bit of a target on his back. You know, he was a huge protester force and voice and image of the Black Lives Matter movement in Ferguson, Missouri. And so the so, prosecutor was like, hey, judge, make an example of him. Literally said that. Yeah. But and I, yeah. all his supporters were in the courtroom at the time, cheering, yelling, causing a ruckus. The judge had to leave to make his final findings. He comes back. He gets eight years. So I think that's an issue, too. And that's more of a 
as an individual, when you are the face of a protest, when you're the face of a resistance or a revolution, it's important that Careful, you watch Shana. yourself. <laughs> it's important that you watch yourself because yes. well, yeah. the, sometimes the establishment well, is out to get you. But, you know, he yeah. marched with Cornel West, and Cornel West is an example of someone who's just a very positive activist in terms of not devolving to the negativity of activism. And so I think it's important, it's obviously going to be a a, a lesson for Josh Williams, but hopefully for other people too. Hopefully, yeah, because I would hate for young, uh, involved, engaged people to make mistakes like this that that you know definitely halt their game for a while. Although he did say that from inside jail, he's doing the best he yeah. can to remain positive and supportive of the cause. Yeah, and I, I almost wish he had you know offered up a defense because you know during that course of the defense, maybe a lot of mitigating factors come out that might help you in some Well, something that was interesting, his attorney offered up that he was childlike. I don't understand I, I, where he was trying to go with that. I mean, because either he, you make the defense that he, he's not competent because he's <laughs> he's too childlike to stand for trial, or <laughs> that's not really a mitigating factor to. I, I think I that didn't has understand something that. to do with his um, ability to understand the consequences of his actions, which is helpful in arson cases with minors. Like, yeah. a lot of minors have brushes with starting little fires that cause no damage. And yeah. it's typically, you know, the fact that they're a minor is a big part of the defense. And I think that's what they were trying to do, but yeah. he was over the age of 18. Yeah, he was at the time 19, and he's now 20 years old. Yeah, and I, I think there, there are differences in cases where it's sort of, this guy decided we we're going to go burn something down. He picked me up on the way and I went with him versus I'm a face of a movement and here's what I'm doing. So Probably could be. Okay, so the next time somebody tells you that we lived in a post-racial America, have them take a look at what's going on in Mississippi. Mississippi just got a court order to desegregate uh, one of their cities, Cleveland, Mississippi. Oh, it's only been 50 or so years yeah. since the Department of Justice has been battling with them to get this done. Now, instead of one high school that's predominantly white and one predominantly black, same with the junior high, the judges ordered them to be commingled or just reduced to just one high school and one junior high. Mm -hmm. On a scale of one to 10, how surprised were you that this is still going on? I'm going to say an eight on the surprise level. Yeah, yeah, I'd say an eight on this. I was very surprised. Yeah, okay, so... That was even a legal battle, you know? Yeah. Right, for 50 years, you know, we've had this little case that most of us know, Brown versus Board of Education, that's explicitly said no segregation. So, well, I can't say it said no segregation. It's explicitly... Separate equal does not fly. <laughs> right, there you go. So it took 50 years I cannot imagine what were they, what was the town, the city, trying to argue that would keep the status quo? Like, how did they manage to argue to get their way for 50 years? You know, redistricting, maybe some money was funneled here, money was funneled there, and then the court process, just a slog. I you think know? a lot of punting yeah. happened, the, you know, the court process, and just trying to say that, look, Although all the white people live on the west side of the train tracks and all the black people live on the east side, it's all the same. Yeah. It's, it's all equal. I just cannot believe it took 50 years. And now it makes me wonder how many of these communities are out there. You know, I, don't, I can't imagine this is the last one. Maybe there's more. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the, um, the, the school district offered up 
other, or I don't know if it's the district or the city, offered up other alternatives. Mm. What did they think was a good idea instead of what the judge ultimately chose, which was the one school for every or one high school for everybody, one junior high for everybody? Well, they had they started off with the you get to choose it's first come first serve basis, um, and they found that would not actually end the functional desegregation, uh, the functional segregation, and then they were going to. Um, Combine some of the schools and then make the other schools special magnet schools. But then you start to wonder who would have gotten into those special magnet schools. So um, those were not good enough for the judge, and rightfully so. All right. So Cleveland, Mississippi, get it together. Get it together. All right. Finally, Sheriff Arpaio out in the Phoenix area. Right? Did I get that right? Phoenix? Mm -hmm. Has been held in contempt of court which doesn't happen very often, over this racial profiling, these immigration patrols that he did even after he was ordered to stop. And yet, this man who is nearly 84 years old and has been uh, in this role since 1993 is still qualified to be on the ballot and run for re-election. What the... I, I, right, exactly. Um, why is it that he's still qualified? What's it going to take for him to be disqualified for being on the ballot? It would take a felony contempt charge. Right now, he's only been charged with civil contempt. Oy. Okay, so it's got to be criminal, and it's not even just criminal, but apparently it has to be a felony as opposed to a misdemeanor uh, contempt and we can't even find out really the bright line test of what's felony and what's misdemeanor. What do you think that it is? Oh, well, I'd have to say it's a felony here in this particular case. I mean, violating the judge's orders 18 months afterwards. Right. He, so he yeah. still had people on patrol pulling people over. and There were at least 190 people pulled over. They're saying that figure's probably more. Uh, and he did so to win this election. It wasn't that he had this great stated belief that this was what he should be doing. It was to win the election in 2012. Right. Crazy. So, and there were other, his deputy sheriffs, two of them were also uh, found to have lied under oath. Under oath, yeah. Uh, there's Chief Deputy Jerry Sheridan lied under oath, uh, Lieutenant Joe Sousa, and retired Chief Deputy Brian Sands were also found in contempt. So we have this whole department, the heads of the department, they're still there. And we have to wait until somebody finds them convicted of, or finds them guilty of a felony contempt. So I can't believe that something that has already cost the, um, the county $40 million dollars in compensation for the people that were wrongfully pulled over has not been enough for the... Yeah, and that's $40 million over the last eight years, and they expect another $13 million in the next year. Right. So what do you... I, 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 I don't understand <laughs> this. Um, what do you think? People are, are, are thinking that they continue to support this man. I think that now that we've tied his actions to 
taxpayers' dollars, voters' pockets, I think we're going to see a change this next election. Like, this was very timely uh, that this comes out, that it's $41 million in taxpayer dollars. And this isn't just for the court cases. This is also an internal investigation that he spearheaded to show that Judge Snow, the judge on his case, was in cahoots with the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, judge Snow was cleared of any wrongdoing, and was it was shown that he just cooperated in the way that he is supposed to cooperate with the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, I think once we start to see this, I think, I would hope that voters would want to save money and stop the bleeding that is happening here. So the judge has said that he engaged in multiple acts of misconduct, dishonesty, and bad faith. I, you would think that you would want um, honesty to be a star quality of your sheriff. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think he's obviously, maybe his electorate, you know, is of a similar I'm going to lose faith yeah. in Arizona very quickly if they reelect him. But I, I mean, I he's also been known to use scare tactics and to retaliate against people who speak out against him. Well, I'll watch so my back. I, I, Apparently I'm, a sheriff has a lot of power in the yeah. city these days. I was surprised. But. I, I would be very shocked if this wasn't a felony contempt. Right. What what yeah. what else would quali- what what else what other <laughs> bar do you need to to hop to get to felony contempt? I would have no idea unless the judge said don't kill somebody and then you go out and kill somebody. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know of any more serious nature for his action in his role of a sheriff yeah. to be number one in law enforcement is number one law violator. So I I don't know who I don't know what can how, how anybody can defend this. I don't see any real legal defense. His own defense team was forced to turn against him. Right. They basically uh, said, well, we told him specifically what he needed to do to heed to the judge's orders. He did the opposite. So then Sheriff Aparo asserts a defense that his counsel told him to uh, do certain things that allowed him to be in contempt of the judge's orders. So once he asserted the defense that, you know, it was attorney advice, that takes away attorney-client privilege. Attorney got on the stand and sang like a bird, of course, to protect his license or because that was the absolute truth. I think the other issue with um, Sheriff Aparo is he has this way of, uh, he's a head sheriff in town and he wields a lot of power, but whenever he goes to court, he pretends that he is this old, feeble man who couldn't possibly understand the ramifications of his actions. <laughs> so I think that's, that's a hurdle that we're going to have to get over as well, that he has this way of appearing sympathetic in court. But I think by now, crazy. we've caught on. <laughs> crazy. So. Certainly. A man who calls himself America's toughest sheriff. He's America's largest something. But um, I will stop there before I say something inappropriate. <laughs> and I will instead thank you very much for uh, tuning in. Please uh, tweet us your comments. You can uh, find me at Chelsea Galicia. You can find me at Shaka Strong on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Shannon Myricks on Twitter. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Don't forget to like and comment, and we will see you next time on Justice is Served. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagramming, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood, Hollywood redefined. redefined.
The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.